which is also a Sikha and Yutshvat, a summary of the Sikha. The Friediger Rebbe related, the Friediger Rebbe is, whose Yorotite is on Yutshvat, that when his father, the Rebbe Rashab, was a young child and was brought into the Cheder, his grandfather, the Tzamech Tzedek, threw candies at him and he said that these were candies were thrown to him by Malach Machol, the angel Machol. So this was, these candies became very dear and cherished by the Rebbe Rashab, the young boy of three. And he kept them, he didn't eat them because he wanted to keep the candies that the Malach Machol had thrown to him. On Erev Pesach, his grandfather said to him, you have to eat up the candies before Pesach um, so that, you know, before Pesach you have to finish eating them. So this story has certain lessons for us also, not just in the area of Chinuch, how the Tzemach Tzedek educated his grandson, the Rebbe Rashab, and Chinuch is also very much germane to our parsha because if your son will ask you questions, and which is all found in our parsha. But it also has lessons in regards to the laws of Chometz, of the prohibition of Chometz. Because we have to understand, why was it that these candies that were so cherished by the Rebbe Rashab, and the, he, he had a right to be because his grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek, gave them to him, even if it wasn't actually Malach Machal, but uh, why did the Tzemach Tzedek insist that he should eat it before Pesach? Why couldn't he keep it after Pesach by selling it to a guy for the duration of Pesach, as we do, and then have it again after Pesach? In fact, we find that there were certain Hasidim who have the minig of Shirayim that their Rebbe left with the leftover food he would distribute to the Hasidim, and they some of them would keep it and they would sell it for on Pesach to a goy and then have it again after Pesach. So, from the fact that the Tzemach Tzedek did not allow that, one could perhaps come to the conclusion that it would be prohibited to sell it because since he wants to. He wants that the, the chametz, the candy, should remain over Pesach and after Pesach because he wants to keep them. So maybe then the sale is not a valid sale. And even though we're, we're lenient in regards to the sale of chametz to a goy, even though it might seem like a pretense that you're selling it to him and then you're going to buy it back after Pesach, but because it's only with the Rabbanan, it's not a Deiraisa, that you have to sell your chametz, you could be mavatli a chametz, so they were more lenient. But in this case perhaps because it's an obvious pretense it almost it becomes obvious that he really doesn't want to get rid of that chametz he really wants to keep it so maybe because of that the, uh, the it wouldn't be permitted that it should be sold in the in such an obvious way that it wasn't really meant as an uh, actual sale but that, we can't say that because the Alter Rebbe insists that this is a valid sale and even though it's obvious that he wants it back, he's going to buy it back after Pesach, the Alter Rebbe says, so, still says that this is a valid sale. And so, because in, according to the Alter Rebbe, as well as many, most other Paskim, the sale of Chametz is a completely valid sale and protects you from the prohibition of Bal Yerah, Bal Yimatza, which is a Torah prohibition, because since you're not actually being Mavatl, the Chametz, you're not declaring null and void the Chametz which you sell to a Goy, Therefore, if it wasn't a real sale, then it still belongs to you, and you weren't mavatel to it, mavatel it. And so it seems that Alter Rebbe, it's clear that Alter Rebbe holds that this is a valid sale which protects you from Bayirah Bayimotzeh. Another question that could be asked is, 
you don't even have to sell it. He could have simply been mafkir, which means the cleared owner list, these candies, and placed them into, uh, put them into a Rishusarabim, into a place which is ownerless. For instance, you could hide it somewhere in the forest, and where nobody will find it, and then after Pesach, you were mafkirit, and after Pesach, you come and collect it, and you have it again. Why couldn't he do that? So even though the uh, sages did not allow one to be mafkir chametz and insisted that it has to be destroyed or disposed of somehow, but in this case, since you're removing it from your own property, from your own uh, rishus, and you're taking it out into a place which is truly hefkir, therefore the two reasons which are given why the chachamim did not permit uh, being mevatel or uh, and rather required that you should actually dispose of it, according to both of these reasons, that would be taken care of. One of the reasons why they didn't permit it was because, since it's all it being mafkid, declaring it to be null and void, is completely dependent on how you feel about it. It's up to, do you really consider it null and void? And if it's something that's important to you, maybe you wouldn't it, totally consider it to be null and void, and it would still belong to you, and therefore you would be over but in this case, of course, since he actually physically removed it from his rishos, so that, would, that problem would be mitigated. And also, the second reason, which is because a person is so accustomed to eating chametz all year, if you were mavatalit, but it was still there in the cupboard or in the drawer, you might mistakenly eat it because you're so accustomed to eating it, and therefore they insisted that you have to dispose of it. So in this case, also, you have removed it from your rishos. So both of these things would be would not be a problem if he were to remove it from his rishus and be mafkirit there and then come collect it after Pesach. Why couldn't he do that? So the reason that the Tzemach Tzadik did not allow that was obvious because there are many other opinions which say that that is not permitted. And the, Reb, the Alter Rebbe paskins that it is not enough. And even if somebody puts it out and he declares it to be hefker with the intent, then after Pesach comes and collects it, it's as if it belonged to him all Pesach, and it doesn't work as a way of ridding yourself of the chametz, and therefore, of course, the Tzemach Tzedek would not allow that. But it's difficult to say that this is the reasoning, because in our case, we're not talking about real chametz, we're talking about candies, which, it's, we're not even certain that there was actually chametz in there. Maybe they weren't certain that there was chametz in there either. And even if there is, it would only be a, a small percentage of the other ingredients of the candy all those laws that we talked about uh, pertain to a piece of bread or a piece of chametz this is not a piece of chametz this is just um, some mixture of ingredients in which there might be chametz which means that Midaraisa would be bottle anyway since it happened before Pesach they mixed up that batch before Pesach so it's bottle b'shishim or bottle barov. However, one cannot say that uh, maybe the whole discussion doesn't really pertain because we're talking about a child that owned the chametz. And since a child is unable to transfer something that belongs to him to someone else or to be transferred into, the, into hefker, so therefore he didn't have that option of being mafkir. So maybe that's the answer, but that can't be the answer because a child that is supported fully by his, fa- by his father the father becomes responsible for it. It belongs to the father, and the father becomes responsible. So therefore, that wouldn't be a correct answer. So to understand the answer to this question, it can be understood based on what is heard. we heard from Hasidim, that this was what Hasidim did. 
they when they received something, a food or a drink from the Rebbe, and it was very precious to them, but still they would never sell it to a guy, they would finish it off before Pesach. Like the Rebbe's mashke, that was always finished before Pesach. And the reason could be obvious, because it's disrespectful to the Rebbe and to the object, the, the, the item of food that he gave you, that you should transfer it to the ownership of a guy. In fact, if you were to transfer it to the ownership of a guy, so then it's possible that this would completely remove any holiness, any kind of holiness that you attribute, that we attribute to the food given to us by the Rebbe, because it, all, it belongs to a guy. So then that would be lost. That whole state of holiness would be lost by the transfer to a guy. So this issue can be dependent on a discussion about chametz, which is brought by the Ragach of Agon. He asks the question whether the prohibition of chametz is attached to the definition of, what, of that piece of food as chametz. There is the essence of, what, of the existence of that food, of I, that item of food, and then there is certain things about it. Like for instance, the shape of that food is not the essence of the food. It doesn't matter what shape it is as far as the essence is. The color, the texture, many other aspects of the food are not really their essence. Possibly the, the, the description, the status of chametz is also not something which is attached to the essence of the food, but only part of its expression. It's expressed in a certain shape, in a certain color, in a certain te- texture, also as chametz. Another way of looking at it is that the, the prohibition of chametz penetrates all the way down to the very essence, to the molecular structure of that food, and it captures every aspect of the food, not just its outer expression. And in this way he explains the machloikas about the question whether chametz, which went through a, a yid owned chametz on Pesach, whether after Pesach it's still prohibited from any benefit or not. There's a machlekes of that in the Tanoim. And he explains it based on this difference. If we say that the, the chametz attaches itself to the very essence of the food, so then after Pesach it's still, it's still attached to that. And therefore since it's prohibited and it was in the, in the uh, ownership of a yid during Pesach, so it remains prohibited even after Pesach. But if we say that it's only... The, the prohibition is only attached to the outer expression of it. After Pesach, chametz is not chametz anymore. It's not described as chametz anymore. There is no prohibition to, to it anymore. So once Pesach is over, there is no prohibition anymore to this chametz. And that's why he would say that it's permitted. At least Medeirai said, the Chachamim still put a knas, a penalty on a yid that keeps chametz, that he can't use it after Pesach. Medeirai it would be permitted to use it after Pesach, whereas according to the one that says that it's attached to the very essence of it as an existence, then it still remains prohibited even after Pesach. Another machlegis could be des- described, explained in this way, which is the machlegis between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim, whether you have to, if, if beer chametz, if you need to dispose of chametz, destroy chametz, which means after the time of chametz occurs, one is obligated to destroy it. The, how do you have to destroy it? Rabbi Yehuda says the only way to destroy chametz is by burning it. The Chachamim say, no, you can also grind it up and throw it to the wind. The same, this could be based on the same principle. If we say 
that it's the chametz is atta- the prohibition of chametz is attached to the outer expression of it. So then, if you grind it up and throw it to the wind, it no longer has the chametz is no longer in existence as chametz. There's less than a kezayis. The prohibition of food is only on less than a kezayis, and you can't really benefit from it because you can't eat it in, as crumbs, and you, and you can't have any benefit from it. In fact. So therefore, it's enough to do that. You destroy it in a way that its outer expression no longer represents chametz, and you're done. According to Rabbi Yehuda, he says that the prohibition is attached to the very essence of it as, as an existence, and therefore, even if it's a crumb, even if it's reduced down to crumbs, it still exists, and therefore you have to destroy it by burning it, and that's the only way to get rid of it altogether. So based on this, we can also explain the issue of selling a Rebbe's food to a guy. If we say that the chametz is attached to the essence of the food, so therefore when you're selling it to the guy, you have to be selling the entire essence of that food. Everything belongs to the guy now. So where is the holiness going to remain attached to it? If it belongs to a guy, there is no possibility for holiness, even in its very core and essence, because that also has to belong to the guy. If we say that it's only the, the prohibition of the chametz is only on its outer dimension and therefore what you're selling to the guy perhaps is only that aspect of it but the holiness can still be attached to the core essence of it and therefore when you buy it back after Pesach the, you still have the holiness in the core essence of it the, chum, the outer dimension already doesn't matter because after Pesach it doesn't matter and therefore it re, uh, retains its status of holy food Rebbe's food so therefore since the halacha remains that one is permitted one does not have to necessarily burn the chametz one is permitted to also uh, as we said grind it up and throw it to the wind it's only a mimic to burn it and the same is true also that chametz after Pesach is midairaisa would be permitted it's only that the chachamim prohibited it so then it comes out that the chametz, according to this uh, Rabbi Chava comes out that the status of chametz is only attached to its outer dimension and therefore when you sell it to a guy and you buy it back after Pesach it's possible that it should have been retained the holiness should be retained it sounds good but it's difficult to say that this is really the answer because in the end we sell the chametz to a guy in order to be prevented that we should prevent being violating which means that it is a complete and valid thorough sale you're selling the entire essence of or the entire um, chametz to the guy, and he has to own it and the Alter Rebbe said you have to go even a step further you have to have a Jew that is guaranteeing the sale an Arav Kablun what's called an Arav Kablun which means that the guy fully owns it and he can do whatever he wants with it he's allowed to sell it which means that he owns the entire thing down to its very essence. So how could we say that there is still some part of it which doesn't belong to the guy? Which is the reason, of course, why Chassidim did not want to sell food that belongs to the Rebbe, that was given by the Rebbe to a guy, because in the end it belongs fully to the guy, and therefore no holiness can remain attached to it. And this same reason could also explain why the, the Tzemach Tzedek did not want him to be mafgir, to declare ownerless that chametz and then to re, um, re-own it after Pesach. The Raghachabah also has a discussion about hefker. There are two ways to look at it. 
when somebody declares something to be ownerless, do we say that there is no owner to it, and anyone that comes along becomes the new owner, or do we say everyone gets a stake in it? Once somebody declares the owner declares it ownerless, what that means is, or he, he declares himself no longer to be the owner. What it means is everybody has an option to be to own that. So everyone has a stake in the chametz, or in that object that was mufker, that was declared hefker. In this way, the Ragachavar explains a machlekes in the uh, in the Gemara in regards to the issue of tchum. That you're not allowed to. We know that there's a tchum. You're only allowed to go two thousand cubits from the place where you are centered, where you have set up your camp for yomtiv. And anything that belongs to you is not allowed to leave that two thousand cubits either. It also has to remain with you. So what happens if there is a well which belongs to no one? It's a, a well which is hefker, and somebody drew water from that well. One year drew water from that well, but he drew it on behalf of a friend of somebody else. The question becomes: that water can it does it have to remain in the two thousand in the tchum area of the one that drew it? Or for the one for whom it was drawn, whose two thousand cubits do we say that water has to stay within, and that could be very different from each other. So Rav Nachman says that it goes according to the one for whom it was drawn. Rav Shesha says that it goes according to the one who drew the water. The Gemara explains what it, what is the basis of the argument, and the Gemara answers: One holds that the the well is hefker is considered hefker. The other one holds that it's a well that belongs to many partners. So the other Chavah says that what is really being said in the Gemara is, here is everybody agrees. They're not arguing about what is this, what it, who does it belong to. They're arguing that they they're arguing is a theoretical argument, a more conceptual argument. Everybody agrees that this is a well that is hefker, that anyone can come and draw water from there. Not that there are certain partners that are allowed to and others are not. But he explains that the Machlekes is, how do we view Hefker? Reb Nachman says that Hefker means that everyone has a stake in it, which means in the case of the water, the person for whom it was being drawn also has a stake in it, and therefore when you drew it for him, it becomes his water, and therefore can go according to his, um, his tchum, in his tchum area. Rav Sheishas, on the other hand, holds that Hefka means that it belongs to no one. So when the person that does the filling fills up water, draws that water, it becomes his, because he cannot acquire it on behalf of somebody else. Because even though the rule is that you're allowed to acquire something for somebody else, that is only, which is called Zachan La'adam Shalei as long as it's something which is for his benefit, but that only applies where nobody else is losing out on it. But if you're taking something that is hefker, that anyone else could have come and take, and you're taking it for somebody else, you don't have a right to acquire it for someone else, where somebody else may not be able to gain ownership of that because you took it for somebody else. So therefore you can't acquire something from hefker on behalf of somebody else. Therefore, when the person that drew it took it, he acquired it for himself and therefore it has to follow his area of tchum and he can't pass it on to the other person, even though he could pass it on he's allowed to give it to him as a gift 
but on Yom Tov he can no longer transfer the Tchum from his Tchum to that person's Tchum. So now to explain, according to both of these reasons, being mafkir, the, the, chum, the candies that were given to him by a Rebbe or by Malach Machol, if, if we hold that everyone has a stake in it, so when he declares it Hefke, that means every guy in the world has a stake in it. That's exactly what we're trying to avoid, that it shouldn't transfer into the ownership or somewhat ownership of a guy. And therefore they, they didn't want to be mafkir. In fact, one could say that being mafkir, it could be even worse than selling it to a goy, because when you sell it to a goy, at least you could choose which goy, a good goy, a nice goy, somebody that fits into Hasidim Musa'ilam, somebody that helped you get rid of chametz. So at least there's some redeeming quality. But if you transfer it to the ownership, the semi-ownership of every single goy in the world, that includes everybody, why would you want to do that? That is certainly disrespectful to the Rebbe and his gift to you. And even according to the one that says that Hefker means that nobody has any connection to it, but just the idea that you take something that is so precious, something holy, which was given to you for, by a Rebbe, and you proactively go and declare it to be ownerless and put it in a place where anyone can, uh, can access it, that in itself is considered disrespectful. And they wouldn't want to do something like that which is the reason that the Tzernachzari did not allow for him to be mafkirid and he insisted that he has to eat it. From this, the Rebbe says, we see a very important lesson about the importance of chinuch. These were candies that were not just ordinary candies, they were very cherished by the Rebbe Rashab. And they could have easily allowed him to get away with being mafkirid or selling it to a goy. And you know, there are all these explanations why it could have worked and he's only a child, and he wouldn't have known the difference anyway that it transferred to a guy, uh, you know, temporarily. And they could have let him get away with it. But the Tzemach Tzedek said, no, chinuch means that you have to be mechanach, you have to exercise education with truth. What is the truth? And even if it's a little uncomfortable for the child to have to eat it. So he preferred that he should eat it, and it should become a part of him become uh, his flesh and blood by eating it rather than saving it for after because that is not the best way to deal with the situation and although we're talking you might say that this is talking about Rabbeim and Rebbes and the, the way they do it but since that we were told that story it means that it also pertains to us in fact the Friedrich Rebbe concludes that story by saying this is the kind of Chinuch that we need which means that it pertains to each and every one of us and our children too and of course we received the ability to be able to do that from the Rabbeim because we follow them, they're the head and we are the body and we follow after them and if we do that then we will be um, we will be zeichet to go in their ways and to do things the way they do it and we will have a proper education.